There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Clint Black is coming to the new Capital One Hall in Tysons, Virginia, with tickets going on sale at 10 a.m. today. I spoke with the country music icon about his prolific career from Killing Time to When I Said I Do. Hey, thanks so much, Mr. Black. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Now, uh, how cool is it to play a brand new venue? Is, is that more is it more exciting or more nerve-wracking? Like, you're not sure how things are going to sound, you don't know the layout, you know is which one is it? <laughs> I uh, I'm excited to just be playing now at this point, but uh, new venues are exciting because uh, uh, you know you figure they 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 really put a lot of work into it. You know some of the older venues you might uh, have some wires running under the stage that make your guitar hum. You know your electric guitar pickups, things like that. Um, all of the uh, modern conveniences, you figure they're putting that stuff in there. So we get pretty excited about it. We've we played at a few uh, brand new ones over the years, and uh, they're usually great. Yeah, like you said, you're just glad to be playing anywhere right now. Have you been yeah. basically been shut in for about a year? We have. <laughs> yeah, lost my day job last March. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I started a, a, a pitched a TV show to Circle TV. I started. Uh, uh coffee company you know and then suddenly i'm back out on the road again and now i have uh two other jobs <laughs> i got my uh cowboy coffee at uh, clintblackcoffee.com nice plug very very good according to me and uh that's a no-brainer we all drink black coffee so now we can drink black coffee it's perfect black coffee black coffee yeah. um great. yeah i i really just kind of uh, out of i need to be productive and uh, so I set up this, uh, uh, you know, DSLR camera in my studio. And then every day an Amazon truck delivered the cable I was one short of, you know, to make it all work. And that went on for about three weeks and, until I ran out of cables I needed and the Amazon truck stopped coming. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I just tried to keep busy. It was maddening for a while. And uh, really sad for uh, my industry, and a lot of people don't think about how far-reaching that is. If you go from uh, people who play in nightclubs like I used to do uh, to local symphonies and, uh, you know, all of the, uh, you know, the convention gigs that people play or weddings, uh, all sorts of things, to the touring acts like myself and every other music genre, the Bear in the Big Blue House and Dora the Explorer on tour, you know, <laughs> uh, everyone on ice, uh, all of that, and all of the people who support all of that work, uh, all of the bus drivers and truck drivers and the crew and the people that take the tickets, it was just frightening uh, to think about just how 
far-reaching the uh, devastation would be. So when we were able to get back out on the road a few weeks ago, uh, we've always been grateful-minded people, but uh, it took on a whole new level this time uh, getting back on the road. We always are glad to get back on the road, but not like now. <laughs> well, yeah, this it's going to be good just to be playing at all, I'm sure. And when you keep yeah. saying we because everyone should know you're going to be performing with your your wife, Lisa Hartman Black. Um, how how much of a blessing is it to be able to play with each other all these years later? You know, decades later since your you know your first duets. I mean, do you do you guys just sort of finish each other's sentences musically now? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we we really. She's such a pro. And people know her more from her acting, uh, but she sang a lot, made some records, and uh, and she really has a great ear. Um, she knows what's working and what's not working, and so uh, so I'm, you know, uh, but but you know, the touring thing is not her deal, so uh, so that's kind of new to her, and uh, uh, and so it's it's got all these levels of excitement to it. And, uh, yeah, we, we can finish each other's sentences, um, but there's also uh, there's an exchange that happens on stage with us. We know each other so well after nearly 30 years of marriage. Um, when we look each other in the eye on stage, um, I'm more at home up there. So my mind, you know, is wandering to all kinds of thoughts, and I think she sees that in my eyes all the things I'm thinking, and a lot of times it's just, wow. <laughs> Some, sometimes she won't let me see what she's going to wear, you know, for a particular song when she comes on stage. <laughs> and so I get to see it for the first time when the audience does. And, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty spectacular for me, uh, even after all these years. <laughs> you're, you're up there trying not to gasp in the microphone. <laughs> you're yeah. just play, playing it cool. I got to be cool here. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I want to know how you got into country in, in general, because I know you well, you're born in Jersey, but you moved to Texas really young. Uh, so you basically grew up in Texas. Um, did you have sort of, you know, the idols as a kid, you know, was it the Johnny Cashes and or who, who were your idols as a kid? Yeah, I, uh, I had all of the, the typical country idols, um, and uh, my family's from Texas on my dad's side, from Alabama on my mom's side. And she would just go up to be with her mom in Jersey. So uh, really, I was the uh, uh, I am the youngest. I was the last to be born up there. So once I was nearly a year old, we were back in Texas and, and never left Texas. So uh, that's all I really knew. And the music that I grew up on there was all the country greats. Merle Haggard would be number one, Willie and Waylon, um, and uh, Jerry Jeff Walker, uh, all of this cosmic cowboy stuff coming out of Austin. But I also got really attached to Johnny and Edgar Winter, who came out of Beaumont, Texas, and, uh, you know, playing the, the blues and blues rock. And, uh, and then we had a radio programmer, uh, uh, Bill Young, who was uh, programming rock radio in Houston? I would later look, looking back, understand what he did, which was uh, he really influenced a region. Uh, he was a great programmer, and we were exposed to a lot of great rock and roll. So I have three older brothers, and and they brought home the rock. So I was listening to Deep Purple and Zeppelin <laughs> and uh, 
Seeger and uh, uh, Steely Dan. I found things on my own and drifted toward the singer-songwriters like James Taylor, who I would put up there with Haggard as number one and two for me, Jimmy Buffett, uh, Loggins and Messina, Croce, Fogelberg, all of that stuff. Uh, had a big influence on me, but it was real obvious to me uh, at one point uh, that the direction country music was going fit with who I am. And uh, but if you look at the the classic rock in the uh, in the seventies, there's a lot of that, like the Loggins and Messina, that would fit with where country music went. You know, Bob Seger against the wind. You know, that could be a hit country song. Oh, what a um, song. What a song. In the 90s, yeah. So, uh, but it was it was clear to me the direction rock and roll was going uh, in the 80s uh, and the direction country was going. I, I was belonged in country music and uh, and started pursuing that. And, and the songs I wrote were country. The first song I demoed and presented to try to get a record deal was Nobody's Home. The lights are on, but nobody's home. Um, the uh, Einstein quote. And so uh, it was a pretty clear choice. And uh, and the more I went that direction, the more I belonged. But I brought along a lot of those other influences. If you listen to my third album, uh, you won't hear Steely Dan in it, but the, uh, um, the audiophile in me uh, really was striving to make records that sounded that good. Uh, there are people in Nashville... Uh, who were making records on, on that on par with that? Um, Tony Brown, those George Strait records, um, really were on that that same level. If you listen to, you know, for me, it's can you hear every instrument? Is anyone you know hogging the the, the song? Um, you know, is it hurting your ears the more you turn it up, or does it get better? So that's that really drove me, and then the uh, the people around me, like Travis Tritt, uh, you know, were bringing the Southern rock into it. Um, throughout the '90s, I could really feel it. I could feel that you know we were traditional country, but I could feel those other influences. Well, we're glad. We're all glad you chose country as your path. And you mentioned Travis Tritt. I mean, when you signed with RCA, it was you guys the famous class of '89. You know, Clint Black, Garth Brooks, Travis Tritt, and Alan Jackson. I mean, you're never gonna, probably never gonna top that as a Mount Rushmore of '90s country. Uh, what, what, what was it like having these, these? I don't want to call them rivals, but you guys were pushing each other, man. Everybody's kept stuff kept getting better and better. Yeah, I I know some of them were very competitive, and I didn't like competition in a, in, a, in an art form, um, and so I was I was just never that way. I mean, if you put me on the golf course, I'll I'll begrudgingly lose to you, but uh, I'm trying to win. Right. Um, you know, when I played sports growing up, I was very competitive, but uh, when it came to music, I was competing with myself and trying to grow and get better, and at the same time walking the tightrope between uh, doing enough of what the record company uh, was asking of me and hitting my mark on stage every night. I had challenging songs to sing, and uh, I was doing nine shows on, one day off, nine, eight cities on, one day off. One month I did 21 straight cities in a row without a day off, 
and all the while doing interviews, meeting sponsors and guests backstage. It was overwhelming. Uh, you know, we need to grab you for a photo shoot for this magazine. So it was a challenging time, and the last thing I was thinking about was, you know, what is everyone else doing, uh, and how can I beat them? Uh, the record company and the managers all worry about that stuff, but uh, I was trying to survive vocally and and be in shape for my show every night, which is every night's the World Series to me, and um, so it was uh, it was not really. A competition to me, uh, although I know I know it uh, it was that way for the industry. For sure. Well, you still, you know, you weren't you're not viewing it as a competition, and I think that's smart. You're just out, you know, you're just focusing on the art. But a better man still wins the CMA Single of the Year, and you get the Horizon Award. What was it like, you know, sitting in that audience and basically CMA is tapping you and says, hey, a better man, which is a great song, by the way. I love it. Thank you. Um, you know, basically crowning you as the next big thing. Well, uh, I could see what was going on around me. So I, I'd be lying if I said I was really surprised at what was happening. You know, they were telling me about my achievements. So nobody's. Debut single has gone number one ever. Or no, five number one singles off a debut album has never happened. And it was the number one and two single of the year. Hadn't happened since Hank Williams Sr. I'm hearing all this stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping for that Horizon Award. Uh, I'm not shocked, but I am overwhelmed when it happens. And I get up there and try to keep it together and explain, you know, what I'm feeling. And, uh, and so it, it's kind of mixed, you know, and I'm a I'm a humble enough guy, but I really think uh, uh, if, if anyone couldn't have seen the seen the possibility that was going to happen to me with all the success the records were uh, having, um, you know, they'd just be they'd be lying. And so it, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a shock, but it was a thrill. And. Uh, you know, I I learned enough over the years that no matter what's happening to you, you can't count on one thing or another. That's just the way life is and the way business is. But uh, that doesn't mean when it happens, you don't go. You know, yeah, this makes this makes sense. You know, I've had a lot of success, so uh, so they gave me an award. Uh, but that didn't persist. You know, I didn't. I wasn't. Uh, like a Nashville insider, you know, I made my, uh, you know, first records down in Texas and I wrote all my own songs. I was, came under a lot of pressure to let them find me a hit from local songwriters, but I wrote so many songs. I always had about three albums worth of songs that I'd written to, to, to get ready for the next album. And so it didn't make sense to me to raise all these kids and send your neighbor to college. It's like, no, no, I'm sending my kid off to college. I want my kid to grow up on a record. <laughs> the The thrill of uh, doing a recording session and hearing your song go from something you wrote on an acoustic guitar to having a full band with great engineering and all of that happening, it didn't make sense to me to not be doing that with my songs. And, you know, you're working 10, 12, 14 hours a day in the studio. You got to have a heart for it. And, uh, and I just, I couldn't do it. I was a lot of pressure. I mean, the, the, the resentment from my record company for not, uh, uh, playing that, 
that sort of game of letting everybody else onto my records, um, you know, it, it grew to be a real point of contention with the record company. And, uh, and so, uh, as the years went on, I was not favored by them, but we still had a lot of success when my contract was up. Um, you know, I had just had a, a single that went number one and fell to number two and went back to number one. Uh, but the record company wasn't interested in continuing with me. And that, that sent a real clear message. Uh, all of the other major labels that I spoke to after that, um, said they, they, they would really like to work with me, but not if I'm going to insist on writing my own songs. And I said, well, you know, I wrote 22 number one hits. <laughs> You know, and sold 22, 20, 20, 20, 22 million records uh, of songs, all that I wrote. Why would you want to go out to another songwriter? And they, they just didn't have an answer. They just what, said, what year was this that you're talking about? When they're saying they don't want you to write your 2001. stuff? Two thousand one. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so when I said I do, had just been a big hit and been there with uh, Steve Warner, uh, had been a big hit and. Uh, but they wanted to go find me a song and have it produced for me the way they thought it should sound. So they're, you know, that's the way they ran their companies. And I didn't fit with that. So I just walked away and didn't do anything for a while. And finally, I put out a record on my own record label. And uh, uh, that record label was a disaster. We had signed Little Big Town and broke them. After eight years of major labels trying to break them and couldn't, we did it, and uh, and then they uh, they had a had a loophole and took it and, and left the label and uh, went over to Capital and it and it crushed my label because we'd put all of our resources into breaking them, so that killed that company and so I didn't do anything for a while, <laughs> and then you know. I said, well, maybe I'll do a classic uh, cover album, a classic rock <laughs> songs. And my manager goes, no, you need to write. And I said, I, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm really soured on the, the whole, you know, making records thing and writing records, writing songs. And he said, well, you need to, you need to find your way back to that. So it took a long time, uh, but I finally did got back into writing and recording and now I'm I'm loving it again because I don't have anyone beating me up over whether I wrote the song or not. Well, you I mean, you hashtag are, irony. Hashtag irony. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um yeah, I mean, you you your songwriting is is incredible. So, I mean, I you were correct to to be pushing for that. Um I've noticed, you know, God, there's so many songs of yours that it would take forever if we went through them all. But I, I've noticed, you know, a theme of time in a lot of stuff. First, you were killing time. You know, you're wasting time. Then you got no time to kill. You're busy. You keep no time. And then after a while, you're more reflective and you're like, you know what? I'm going to spend my time and use my time a little more wisely. <laughs> Is that yeah. sort of an actual growth in your in your perspective as well? Yeah, it, uh, it has always been an issue. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up, uh, uh, watched uh, uh, the Vietnam War wind down. My brother, if it had kept going, would have been called up, my oldest brother. Um, you know, I lost family members to cancer. Uh, it was real clear to me at a young age that uh, you know, time is precious and uh, promise to no one. And so uh, 
So I thought about it a lot. You know, when I was 15, I didn't think I'd live to be 16. And then, okay, I'm 16, but I won't live to be 18. I just had this weird fatalistic view of, <laughs> of what was going to happen. Uh, when I hit 25, I stopped worrying about that and, and realizing that, uh, you know, we can all be taken at any time, but I'm not going to sit around worrying about it. But it's still a great subject. You mentioned those songs. There's Buying Time. There's Ride right. on Time. There's Life Gets Away. Um, and uh, and it, it just is like love. It's It's such a deep subject. Uh, love, uh, time, Christmas, these are all things that I've been able to revisit again and again and come up with e- even an, another way to, to approach it and another way to sing about it. Uh, love isn't something that we have. It's something that we do. I got that from, uh, I think it was Seven Habits of Highly Se- Successful People, nice. uh, where the author suggested that most uh, our relationships would be better if people treated love as a verb instead of a noun. Uh, that uh, germinated in me for years, and then uh, and then finally I came up with love isn't something that we have, it's something that we do. Got together with a great writer here, Skip Ewing, and we wrote the song. It uh, it just, subjects like that are so important and, and so universal and something that we all uh, reckon with. And uh, and so, yeah, it's uh, I will keep writing about it <laughs> another hey. time. Well, well, uh, the, the latest song I wrote is a new duet with Lisa. It's called Till the End of Time. There you go. And that was uh, after a song, You Still Get to Me, that I wrote for us. And now we did The Masked Singer, and I thought, you know, we should have a new duet after doing that show together. And so I started trying to write till the end of time, and I thought, we're we're coming up on our 30th anniversary. What else is there to say? And, and for about 10 days, I had nothing. And then, it, and then the opening line hit me. It was, uh, I can tell you how the story never ends. And I knew what I was going to write uh, at that point. So it just keeps happening yeah. because, uh, you know, I'm 59 and uh, I'll have just turned 60 when I play in Tyson's. I'll have turned 60 the day before and I'm still on stage. I think I'm better today than I was because I've kept at it and practiced and playing uh, better guitar and singing better, all that stuff. But the way I look at time now at this age uh, is different than even five years ago. And uh, spend my time, you know, really, you know, as you watch your uh, your family tree, uh, you know, grow roots and lose branches. Uh, you think about that time that you have. And you got to spend it like it's going out of style. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, man, I've always appreciated and been impressed by your visual storytelling you know we work in radio so i mean i get it you got to paint you almost got to paint a picture with your words so i mean for instance something like nothing but the taillights you can you can picture that person on the side of the road and it's been done a lot since with what was it broken heartsville and settle for slow down other other artists have done that theme but you did it the best um where did you come up with the line back here with my thumb out in the wind God, I don't know. I uh, Steve Warner and I wrote that late, late one night, and uh, um, and I don't know. I really, uh, it's it's 
the best answer I could give you is uh, I try to be like an actor and I want to feel, I want to be empathetic so that something that that person in that situation would actually feel will will materialize for me and maybe I'll have something to say about it. So I was walking down that road in my mind and trying to hitch a ride, uh, which I used to do as a kid crazily. Um, <laughs> and so you just, you have to be living in that moment uh, to be lucky enough to come up with something to say that, you know, uh, all these years later, Jason says, you know, you quote that line because <laughs> it meant something to you and why? Uh, because it, it had to feel real, right? Right. Well, you can just picture those taillights, those red lights just blowing, blowing away. You, you can visualize it. Same yeah, with have, like, have we ever been, has anybody ever been dropped off and kicked out of a car somewhere? <laughs> I have. And, uh, you captured uh, it. <laughs> I mean, I've had my uncle uh, uh, pull away, pretending to leave me on the side of the road in pitch dark, you know, and uh, I, I, I know what it looks like. <laughs> oh, it just puts us right in your shoes for sure. And what about Like the Rain? There you go again. Another visual. You're using rain as a, um, you know, there's been a bunch of songs about rain. There was even a song called Songs About Rain. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, that when you come up with something like that, that's that's a perfect visual allegory for what we're talking about. You know, it's, I mean, that's visual storytelling perfection. Thank you. I uh, Lisa had moved to L.A. when she was about 18 or 19 to pursue uh uh, her career. Uh, I didn't leave Nashville for, I mean, Houston for Nashville until I was about uh, 28, 29. Houston, we got plenty of rain. L.A., not so much. So she really loved it. Anytime it rained and I would think, you know, now I'm not really liking this. So, But she would love it uh, when it rained. And one night we were watching it rain, pour down rain in Nashville, looking out the window. And I started thinking, what would the music for this sound like? And I played the introduction of the guitar part for Like the Rain. And then I came up with I Never Liked the Rain Until I Walked Through It With You. Every thundercloud that came was one more I might not get through. And so on and so on. I, I just came up with the uh, the beginnings of that. And then I put it away and said, you know, I'll, my lead guitar player and I wrote that, uh, finished it together. And uh, and that really was, you know, the metaphor for obviously what love does. But uh, uh, but it was also written in the middle of a started in the middle of a thunderstorm. Yeah, that's great. Well, I mean, we would be here forever if I, if we went through every song. I appreciate you doing those. But, you know, we tell ourselves when my shit comes in, there's so many good ones. But. Tell me about your duet, Circle Back, because we kind of mentioned it earlier. You did a bad goodbye. And then, of course, when I said I do, which there you go with your wife, that is a love as a verb, like you mentioned. You know, that that's you can't just say I do. You got to you got to act yeah. on it. Um, so what's the key to a good duet, man? You've done it. We've done it with multiple people, but the best ones with your wife, for sure. Thanks. I uh, I think what I did uh, uh, for that song is. You know, a, a bad goodbye was a, a duet was an afterthought. I'd written a song. Uh, I was going to put it on my album. Uh, Winona and I were going to do a 100-city tour together, and I thought it would be great to have something to sing together each night. And I looked at that song and said, yeah, I can make that a duet. I pushed her into a broom closet at CMA Awards and played it for her, and she said, I'm in. So 
with my wife, I was writing. I was writing the song in the kitchen, standing around the island for about two days, and I just started thinking, what would we sing to the world if everyone and God were watching? What would we say? And uh, and and you have to bring reality into it, and uh, and the uh, for better and worse through sickness and in health and all of that. So. Um, you know, it uh, starts out with uh, a dose of reality with these times are troubled and these times are good and they're always going to be. Mm. These it's things never well. change, it's right? Good. Yeah. And uh, and then it was a matter of uh, just expressing our vow uh, that uh, you know, when I said I do, I meant that I will till the end of all time, you know, be faithful and true, devoted to you. So a lot of people, uh, uh, you know, who who aren't successful in their in their marriages, um, I don't know when and where and how it goes wrong, uh, but we were vowing that we wouldn't let it, and I think communication is the key to that. And so, uh, in my mind, writing the song, this was this was the vow, this was the duty. It wasn't just we're going to stick together because we're miserable. We're going to we're going to stick together and do all the work that makes us want to stick together. Right. So, um, uh, I've, I've always felt really blessed that, uh, that we, that we have that, that we manage to do it, uh, and that we can sing about it. And when people say, what's your favorite song? That's always the first one I think of because of what it says about what we, what we've accomplished, and it is an accomplishment in any relationship, making it work for decades, whether it's uh, uh, siblings, uh, parents, business partners, friends. Relationships are hard, and uh, being a student of psychology, you know, I always looked at human behavior and tried to understand what I did and why, and uh, and as a songwriter, to be a student of it, to, to write about it. Um, one of the best pieces of advice was from Roy Rogers when he found out we were getting married. And he said, I'll give you one piece of advice. Don't ever go to bed angry. Roy Rogers told you that. Yeah. Wow. And it's priceless. And I've, I've, read, I've read that kind of advice in very complicated ways in psychology books. <laughs> but simply put, uh, don't let something lie there. And become, uh, you know, a festering wound to your marriage the next day and the next because you won't see it clearly looking back even a day. So get it off the table before you go to sleep. Well, that's great advice. Yeah, I just got married two years ago. So my wife and I, yeah, we practice that too. We're not allowed to go to bed fighting. <laughs> that's good advice, man. Who knew Roy Rogers told Clint Black and now it's, you know, now, now a new generation is using it. <laughs> yeah, well, he was a, a, a sweet guy, a, a, a wise man, um, you know, deserving of all the love uh, that he received in his lifetime. Of course, you know, Dale, Dale Evans, his wife, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, she told me that as they were getting on in age, she was hoping he would die first. Mm. But, you know, how dark is that? She she said uh, she was afraid if she went first, he might have her stuffed. Hey, there's a trigger joke for you. <laughs> oh, that's like it was going to be a really dark just tale about uh, Roy's wife, didn't it? Yeah, I like how you spun she that around. Said, and then she did tell me that joke, though. Uh, they were very funny. 
Oh, that's great. That's so yeah. great. We just <laughs> ate some more Rogers the other day, my friend. So, man, it's uh, that. Thanks for ending with the horse joke. Appreciate it. Uh, all right, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, you're talking marriage, so yeah, come see Clint Black with his wife, Lisa Hartman Black, at the Capitol. By the way, I talked her into doing something from Knott's Landing. Oh, what? Are you allowed yeah, to tell us what it is? No, I'm not. I'm not. And I, but I can tell you, I tried to get her to, uh, I tried to get her to agree to uh, act out some, uh, some part of uh, the TV show. I suggested the, uh, the part where uh alec baldwin uh you know falls from the billboard and dies but he showed up and said he would kill all of the paparazzis if we did that <laughs> so now there's another joke that's not as good as the horse joke no it's pretty darn good <laughs> went black the comedian who and the coffee uh i'm a sit-down comic um, sit-down comic yeah <laughs> yeah less expectation <laughs> uh, very excited about the show. Uh, we have some really special things uh, uh, lined up uh, for the show, and uh, this is something that took a lot of work, Jason. I can tell you that it took several people convincing Lisa that this was really uh, something that everybody wanted her to do because she's she's really reluctant to be uh, dragged into the spotlight Uh you know, she'll do the movies and stuff. But just getting her to sing When I Said I Do with me was a real, real chore. And the fans let her know that they loved it. And uh, and so uh, we were able to convince her to get on a bus and go out on tour. <laughs> well, that's the best thing. Yeah, you guys don't have to be away from each other when you're on the road. You can travel yeah. together and see the country. That's great. Yeah. Um, again, everyone, it's uh, February 5th, Capital One Hall. You'll be one of the first to, it's not, to play it. It's not even open. It opens in October, I think. So it'll be, it'll be fresh yeah. for you. Uh, tickets, tickets on, on sale, sale today. Yeah. Tickets on sale today, Friday, 10 a.m. Clint Black. This was great. Thanks so much for taking such a long I enjoyed time. it, Jason. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.